Good morning, Chapel Hill. Thank you for braving the cold and coming out. Um, Okay, just a brief uh, restatement of what was stated about the next couple of weeks of having uh, someone from Steiger here next week to speak, and then the opportunity to do a workshop the following week. Um, Like Kim said in the video, um, I have gone through this this workshop on Jesus and the secular world, and it is well worth your time. Just, it is educational, it is eye-opening, it is heartbreaking, and it is very inspirational. It gets you going, it gets you realizing that, yes, there are things that I can do. Um, There are ways that I can see and relate to the world around me, and it is just a a wonderful equipping tool. Um, So get that on your calendar and um, and plan to be here. It is a a really good thing that we're doing, and, um, and it's great to have it here. This has been done typically for... Um, groups of church leaders from all over the place in those kinds of settings. We have the privilege of having it right here at our church, and that is going to be just a great event. So, all right, get your Bibles out, open up your Bible apps. If you do not have a Bible, you're going to need one to follow along in as we go through a couple of passages here. If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up, and our ushers are coming around right now. They've got Bibles that you can take right now and use to follow along in. And, uh, and to keep if you don't have a Bible of your own. So you just feel free to take it with you. Okay, today we're going to continue to introduce our new sermon series called Knowing God. Um, I've heard from many people, I'm able to confirm this myself, that this cannot be this simple how-to type of series. That's not how this whole concept works. The concept of knowing God opens up all kinds of questions, pondering, struggles, concerns, and so we're going to put a little effort into defining what we really mean and how this can really happen. And what I want to do first off here is I want us just to take a moment and pray together. So will you just bow your heads with me, um, and we're going to come before the Lord, um, first each of us individually. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just take a moment right now. This is a valuable time This has eternal implications, and here's what I want you to do, just as you come before the Lord right now, just say to the Lord, God, I want to know you more. Let him know that that's your desire, and then just kind of do a little check of your own spirit. Is that your desire, is to know him more, and ask him to draw close to draw you into a deeper relationship than you've ever had with him. Father, it is a remarkable thing for us to consider the fact that you desire oneness with us. You desire to be close to us. And so, Lord, I ask that even in this moment, as we spend a few minutes together just digging into your word and what it is that you really want, I ask, Lord, that you would open doors, that you would open up a path for us to draw even just one step closer to you this morning. Help us to see what you want. Help us to see your desire, your heart. Help us to see your plan, your thoughts, and enter fully into this beautiful invitation that you've given us to know you. We want to know you, Lord. We want to be known by you. So I ask that you would accomplish this in this time. Just open things up for us. Thank you for being right here and for inviting us into your presence. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
There are some big questions that come with this idea of knowing God. There's no possible way I'm going to deny that. This is a huge subject. There are some doubts that come to mind if they're not already there. There are some influences that we may have had or experiences that have maybe persuaded us that we can't know God. There are attempts made all the time to explain away a God that seems so impossible to understand and therefore impossible to believe in. And so we're going to start with a big question, and this goes back even further than knowing God, back to the very start of wondering about our existence as human beings. It's the question of why we exist. Why do we exist? Um, Try Googling that one. And then read through the 6,980,000,000 links that pop up that help you find your answer to that question, why do we exist? Um, And I didn't make that number up. You'll learn that we exist for the purpose of the evolution of our species. You'll learn that we exist merely to survive, but you'll also eventually find out what many of us believe about the purpose of our existence. And this is obviously my favorite option. I believe that the main reason we exist is to know God, the one who created us. The Bible and life itself have pointed me for decades to God's desire to know us and to be known by us. I see many purposes for our lives. I'm focused right now in my own life on the idea of knowing, loving, and serving God. But if I keep stripping away the layers, I find myself face-to-face with God and unable to deny the fact that he created me to know him to be in relationship with him, and I am certain that at the very core of who I am, like God's desire to know me, I have a desire to know him. So let me give you some biblical support for this. If God really wants us to know him, he probably should have said something about that in his word in the Bible. Well, he did, and I see him stating this directly from his mouth and through the words he communicated to us through the, through the prophets. But let's start with Jesus. Um, and I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list of all the times that God mentions that he wants, to know, wants us to know him. There are way too many of those to, for us to go through together here. But Jesus, God in the flesh, made this pretty clear. In John 17, we are gifted with a copy of Jesus' prayer. That prayer tells us a lot about what God and Jesus are looking for. But look at the very beginning of this prayer in John 17. In verse 1, Jesus states that the time has come for him to fulfill his purpose, which was obviously pretty unique, and granting eternal life to those God called to himself was central to Jesus' purpose. And then right away in his conversation with his father, Jesus defines that eternal life that he came to offer. And here's that definition in verse 3 of John 17. Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, when we first come to God and we ask for that gift of eternal life, we don't always associate that immediately with knowing him. We definitely talk about being in a relationship with him. We invite him to be Lord of our lives and things like that. But from the get-go, we need to know that we're committing 
to not just receiving God's gift of grace, but we're also committing to know him, to know God. And so in his prayer, Jesus goes on to talk about the desire that he has that you and I would be one with the Father, Father and Son, and one with each other. Jesus asks for the kind of knowing that produces this deep, genuine oneness. God wants us to know him on the level that his son knows him. And that is a pretty incredible invitation. And to me, obviously the purpose that he has in mind for us. This is why we exist. But God didn't express this vision only through Jesus and his words. God had other ways of communicating this to us as well. And the one other mention that, uh, method that I'll mention is, is some of what God said through his prophets. God spoke to his people through the prophets for quite a long time. And so let's hear what he said through some of them as well. So Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the prophets God spoke through. One of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, 11, is something that was stated by God through this prophet, through Jeremiah. So is the passage that I want us to consider in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Let's look at that now. It says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So he mentions wisdom, power, and riches, all things that humans take delight in pursuing, accumulating, and then sometimes even boasting about having. But God seems to sort of brush these treasures aside. And what does he focus on? He says, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's what matters. And then God goes on to describe himself with some of his attributes. Love, justice, and righteousness. He invites us to trust not in wisdom, power, and riches. He invites us to trust in the one that we know, to trust in him. Okay, one more for this morning. We're going to revisit passages like this because God's attributes are often listed in these passages, and we're going to learn to see God's attributes as a way of getting to know him. But in Hosea 6, verse 6, more words through a prophet, God says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Okay, once again, what's important to God? What did he create us for? Not religion. Israel was being called back to know God, not just know about God and do things that they thought he would want them to be doing he wanted them to know what he wanted by knowing him, by getting close to him. And we're going to return eventually in this series to the book of Hosea. This book is a shocking, amazing, heartbreaking look into the steadfast love of God, something that we have to experience and not just know about. And this book shows us that in this incredible way. Um, let's move on for now. What I want us to see is that God does a very good job of showing us exactly what he wants 
He wants us to know him, to know him. This faith that we've been given by him is the faith that's needed to enter fully into a relationship with someone that we can't even see. We have a hard enough time entering fully into relationship with people we can see, don't we? This is even more complex. Um, One of the resources that I use when I'm preparing for messages like this is a commentary. I use lots of commentaries, textbooks that explore the Bible verse by verse. And one of the ones that I was looking at this past week said this about Jesus' words in John 17 regarding the definition of eternal life that we mentioned, knowing God. This is what it said. Eternal life is not described in chronological terms, but by a relationship. Life is active involvement with environment. The highest kind of life is involvement with the highest kind of environment. A worm is content to live in soil. We need not only the wider environment of earth, sea, and sky, but also contact with other human beings. For the complete fulfillment of our being, we must know God. This, said Jesus, constitutes eternal life. Not only is it endless, since the knowledge of God requires an eternity to develop fully, but qualitatively, it must exist in an eternal dimension. As Jesus said further on in this prayer, eternal life will ultimately bring his disciples to a lasting association with him in his divine glory. Okay, there's a mouthful there. There's a lot going on. But the author points us to a natural progression from the existence of a worm to the existence of the human race without God to humans existing with God, God's children existing with him in an eternal understanding. Knowing God is to be part of our existence now as it will be fully realized in our eternity with him. But it starts here. Knowing God is central to our lives from here on into eternity. That's right at the core of who we are. Well, God has always known how complex this would be for us. He knows how hard this is for us to grasp. And so when God came in the form of his son, Jesus, he chose to meet us where we are. And he didn't speak to us of things that we couldn't possibly grasp. He didn't speak in those terms all the time, and we would just be lost. This is an amazing attribute of God. His desire for us to know him is very, very strong. And so Jesus set out to speak of our relationship with him in terms that we could understand from where we're standing right now in this temporary life. And I love that. So here's one of those analogies. Jesus spoke of us knowing God using a parable about a son's relationship with his father. The parable of the prodigal son speaks volumes to us of the relationship God desires to have with us and in terms that we understand. How did that son come to know his father through their experience in this parable? That was a gift he gave us, that analogy. There's another one. Moses once complained to God about Israel this way. He said, (laughs) can you imagine talking to God this way, right? God gives Moses this big charge. He's like, this is what you're going to do. You're going to lead my people. Moses responds with, did I conceive all these people? (laughs) 
<laughs> Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child? Paul wrote to the Thessalonians to remind them that he and the others who brought them the gospel and led them, led gently, like a mother caring for her little children. God orchestrated these situations to draw us into a deeper knowledge of him. He gave us these analogies. Another one. We, the church, are referred to as the bride of Christ in the Bible. In the context of God's design for the marriage relationship, with Christ laying his life down for his bride, how does God guide us into knowing him through our marriage relationships, using the analogy of a wife knowing her husband. Then there's this. The world in Bible times was much more connected with the leadership model of a king and their kingdom. And so we're guided in knowing God by the analogy of a subject within a kingdom, surrendering themselves to the will of the king and knowing their king, God, through that relationship. And, of course, Jesus taught us about knowing God through the analogy of a sheep knowing their shepherd. John 10 is loaded with things that will help us know God as we understand how sheep know their shepherd. Dig into that analogy sometime. There are great resources about that one. You will be amazed at what you'll experience in terms of knowing God when you see yourself as a sheep and him as a shepherd. All of these analogies speak, to, speak of the same relationship, our relationship with God. He does a lot to make this something that we can wrap our heads around in this time, to some degree, during this earthly life, when we only see him as if we're looking at him through a veil. Now, Jesus did this even more with his disciples. He took on the role of rabbi with them. They even called him rabbi. For a time, they were in relationship with Jesus as disciples relating to their rabbi. That led them to see that Jesus was not just a rabbi, but a rabbi with ultimate authority. To his disciples, Jesus was a prophet. Another thing that showed them who he was and brought them into relationship. He even told them that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he was talking about himself and acknowledging that most people saw him as a prophet. And he didn't correct them. He used that to draw them to himself as he showed them that he was truly from God and then that he was God himself. That was part of him relating to them. Even the term master was involved in the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. He helped them see that they were his servants. Many of Jesus' parables featured a master and their servant. And then as all of this sunk in for the disciples, Jesus called them into partnership with him, telling them that they would do even greater things than what he had done. He equipped them, and he sent them out. He gave them authority. He gave them power. What Jesus had imparted to them, the disciples carried on as his representatives, acting in his name, in the name of Jesus. What an unbelievable ride for them. But what a gift to us. 
All the while, Jesus is drawing them to himself into a relationship where they would know him eternally and he would know them. Jesus gave his disciples and us this great picture of what it means to know God. God gave Israel through the prophets clear guidance of what it meant to know him. He kept showing them who he was, drawing them closer and closer as he drew closer to them. Now we come to know God through all of this and and then more. We take what he's already shown us in the Bible and we sit before him with it. That's last week we talked about meditating. That's what we do with this. We talk with him. God, what does this mean? What does it mean for me to be your sheep? What does it mean for you to be my shepherd? What are you showing me in our relationship as subject and king, servant and master, disciple and rabbi, son and father, infant and mother? I see what it means to Israel and to the disciples, to the churches. Now, what does this mean for me? How can I know you better through what you've shown me? And that church gives us this massive head start on knowing him. We have in our hands more than enough to open that door wide to knowing God. At the very, very least, we can start with what we know and seriously build for years on what we do know, on what we have. However, if this knowing God is truly why we exist... We have to be keenly aware of the fact that we have an enemy who is bent on keeping us from knowing God. Um, My hope for this series is that along the way, I'm going to keep this on my radar. I'm not going to talk without this reality in our view, and you can hold me accountable to that. Um, For example, I'm well aware of the fact that for some of God's children, their experience with their earthly father is interfering with them seeing God as father. Terms like master and servant come with context for many, and the enemy will use that to create interference and try to keep us from knowing God. So we're going to proceed with that in mind, and if you are personally experiencing some interference like this, please know that you are not alone. This is very common. Okay, the flip side, and an equally important side, of knowing God is being known by him. And this is, from my perspective and my experience, a matter of reacting or responding to God as he reaches out to make himself known to us. And so I want to mention just a few things that we can do on our end in response to what God is doing on his end. It's easy to see this knowing God thing as a very receiving-oriented process. God loves us and he wants us to know him and so he gives us that knowledge of him and we receive it but well we receive so much from a loving God who wants us to experience oneness with him we do have a role in this as well. There are many things that we can do to be known by him not just know him. Let me touch briefly on just three of those things. First of all, as God shows us many things about himself, several of which we've talked about already this morning, he invites us into a relationship where we show him things about 
ourselves as well. And that requires transparency. But I'm not blind to the obvious conundrum here. God obviously already knows us, right? He created us. He knows everything about us, even our thoughts. Our acceptance of that reality runs the length of the spectrum from seeing God merely as Santa Claus, who knows if we're awake or asleep, if we've been naughty or nice, to this terror over picturing him looking down in disgust as he watches and judges every mistake that we make and every dark thought that we have. So this takes me right back to the number one issue I think we face in this series. I've stated that knowing God is not simply about knowing more about him. It's about knowing him more. I think the same is true of God. He has enough facts about us, doesn't he? He knows enough things about us. That's not what he wants from us. In this relational context of knowing God, I believe that God's looking for a desire on our part to be known by him. A genuine desire. God, I want you to know me. We willingly open up. That's transparency. We willingly open up with him, even to the point of confession sometimes, but more with a desire for him to know the real us without fear of being judged. Just excited to be close to God. Passionate about that. Because he's never no matter what, he is never going to turn his back on us. The second factor that I want to work on in being known by him is intimacy. This involves us seeking him. It involves us prioritizing him. It involves us extending our minds, our emotions, and our wills into this pursuit of closeness with him. And then it involves us giving him the gift of time and a single-minded focus on him. He calls us to be close enough to him that we, we know what brings him joy and what brings him pain. He also hears those things from us. We share with him willingly our deepest joys and sorrows, victories and defeats. And we celebrate with him in his victories and we mourn with him in his losses, we truly love God and we express love to him. He gets the first and best of our love. And in all this, intimacy with him is our goal. And then the last thing that I'll touch on this morning is intentionality. To me, this is a process of matching God's intentionality with ours. God took the first step. John says that we love because God first loved us. We take a good hard look at the steps that God has taken to draw near to us. And we lean into the words of James that say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And we move. We take steps. Knowing that knowing God is not a passive experience. It requires our participation, our action. God extends grace beyond what our imagination can handle. It's going to be a great door for us to walk through in knowing God. But what do we have to extend to God to express our love and commitment in this relationship? How do we take steps toward him? He refers to us as his friends. How are we referring to him 
Do we intentionally treat God like a friend? Do we intentionally view and address God as master, king, father, and the other titles that he's shown us about himself? Are we intentional about that? What's our part? So set aside all that you know about how a shepherd cares for his sheep. How should a sheep respond to their shepherd? What's our role in deepening the degree to which God knows us? Not just what he knows about us. So I want to encourage you to spend some time reflecting on this in the week ahead. In spite of all that we've done to deny, disobey, run from, ignore, or just disregard God, his intention in this relationship is and will always be to bless us. In that light, Chapel Hill, how could we ever have anything less than an all-consuming passion to know him and to be known by him. Take steps this week to know him more and to be known by him. Reflect on this deeply. Make it a part of your life, a part of the steps that you take this week and in the days ahead because it is his desire to be known and for us to know him. Let's make that our desire as well. Let's pray together and then we're going to close our service with a song. Father, I thank you again for this invitation into relationship, into oneness with you. And I thank you that you have made it a possibility for us. God, I ask that as we discover more and more things about you, about who you are, that you would use each one of those things to draw us into a closer relationship with you. That we wouldn't just know that, oh yeah, this is one of your attributes, we would experience those things deeply in the context of a relationship with you that is unlike any other relationship. And Lord, I do ask that you would guide us to this place where we have a desire to be known by you. Knowing full well that you already know all the details about us. Knowing that in the context of a relationship, What you want is our desire for closeness. You want our love for you. Those are things that you want to experience in us and not just know about us. Just like all those things we want to experience in you and not just know about you. So Lord, create this ever-deepening experience of knowing you and being known by you. Make that our path moving forward here. Open us up to the new things that you want to show us, the new experiences you want us to have, especially those experiences of who you really are. Thank you for loving us first. We love you too. And we just ask for a deeper experience of that love in the days ahead. We give this all to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your son.